He is risen. Okay, that was a little subpar. Let's try that again. He is risen. There we go. There we go. What a glorious day uh, we come together to celebrate as Resurrection Sunday serves as the finale to the greatest week in all of history. Last Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, the occasion in which Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem. And again, this was no little podunk uh, parade. The stakes could not have been any higher. Jesus was entering the city of Jerusalem leading up to Passover. The city was flooded with Jews. We have good reasons to think that there were possibly around 2 million people uh, in the area during the time of Jesus' triumphant entry. And so he was surrounded by people, by Jews, who were waiting for the Messiah. All throughout the Old Testament, there, there were prophecies that God was going to send his anointed one, his chosen one, to save the world. And for thousands of years, Jews have been waiting for the Messiah to come. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, here comes Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. By doing so, he was humbly proclaiming that I am he, I am the Messiah, I am the chosen one, I am God's chosen one. And so the crowds were, were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us, O son of David. And it was a marvelous occasion, a day of triumph for, for Jesus, and this day could not have been any higher. And so that was last Sunday, and then Friday rolls along, and the crowds went from shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, on Sunday, to crucify him, crucify him on Friday. And it was an emotional day. We, we had our Good Friday services Friday, and, and it was emotional. It's emotional remembering and honoring the fact that Jesus was mocked, he was beaten, he was tortured, and he was crucified. A vile, vile uh, means of execution uh, amongst the Roman Empire. The sins of the world rested on the shoulders of Jesus. And it's sombering to, to remember that, that this great price that Jesus paid as Jesus, he paid it all so that we could have it all. It's the greatest love story in all of history. That Jesus would willingly, not hesitantly, but, but willingly go to the cross to pay for our sins. And on top of that, not only that Jesus would be willing to go to the cross to pay for our sins, but that it was God's will. It was God's will that his beloved son, Jesus, would go to the cross for you and I. Because God loves you, God loves me, God loves everybody. So much that he was willing and it was his desire to send his beloved son, Jesus, his perfect son, Jesus, the one sinless human being to go die on that cross. No greater act of love in history. Nothing even touches this act of crucifixion and what we remembered on Friday. And this whole book here, in a sense, is God's story to us, his story for us, and, and a lot of it is God's story about us. And this past few weeks, we've seen how this book contains the, the key elements of a good story. 
A few weeks ago, we, we looked at the good guy versus bad guy element that, that in all these good stories, they have a good guy going up against a bad guy. And in this story, uh, the Bible, we see that the, the good guy is God and his supreme agent, Jesus. On the bad side, we have sin and sin's supreme agent, Satan, the devil. And so we have th this classic uh, interaction here, good guy versus bad guy. We also have many dramatic events with a lot at stake. A lot of times in good stories that we read or watch, there, there's a lot at stake in whatever is going on. Jesus triumphantly entering the city of Jerusalem uh, being one of many in which the stakes were at an all-time high. And then people love a good love story. And the Bible tops all love stories. There's no greater act of love than God laying down his beloved son, Jesus, for us. And today, the final element of a good story that we will focus on is the element of triumph and victory. There are so few books, movies, movie series, TV series that end without triumph and victory. Sometimes, once in a blue moon, you'll have a movie that ends on a poor note or a particular episode of a TV show that ends on a poor note, but seldom does a collection of stories end on a poor note. We've used the example of Disney and their supreme talent to tell a story. And when thinking about Disney, I, can, I cannot think of a single Disney movie that ends on a poor note. Now, I say that knowing that as soon as I say that, someone is thinking, well, actually, Kyle, you know, X, Y, and Z all ended on poor notes. And if that's you, keep your thought to yourself uh, this morning. Uh, <laughs> but people love a, a story that ends in victory. And thank goodness... This story ends in victory. For as great as Palm Sunday and, and as great as Good Friday were, they would be completely meaningless, worthless, if it weren't for the fact that it ended in victory. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then our faith in preaching, it is in vain. It's useless. But because of that, because he was raised from the grave, this day that we celebrate is the greatest day in all of history. As without this day, you and I, we would still be in our sins. And we will, when, when we are still in our sins, we will pay for the wages of our sin, which is death, uh, an eternal death. And so before we dive into the implications of this great day, we, I want to simply go through the story of Resurrection Sunday with you all this morning. So if we rewind a couple thousand years ago, Jesus died on Friday at around 3 o'clock in the afternoon after hanging on the cross for about six hours. And shortly after Jesus died on that Friday, a man by the name of Joseph buried Jesus in his own personal tomb. And that is such a very important detail that Jesus was buried in his own personal tomb. There's nobody else in this tomb because a lot of times when someone was hung on the cross and they died on the cross, uh, the Roman Empire, they would either just let them rot on the cross and let the vultures come uh, dispose of them, or they would just get thrown in a pit with a, all the other people who were were crucified. And if that were the case, you'd have zero proof of knowing whether or not uh, th this guy was still present there. But Jesus had his own personal tomb. He got his own fresh new tomb. And then on top of that, they rolled this big stone in front of it to seal the tomb. 
This was very uh, customary for expensive tombs to ensure that nobody would mess the remains of the dead body. And so the following day on Saturday was the Sabbath, and the chief priest went to Pilate, the governor, to ensure that Jesus' tomb would be well guarded. For they remembered that, that he said he would rise on the third day. And the chief priests, the, these Jews, wanted to make sure that Jesus' body did not go missing, because then it would create an even bigger uprising. These chief priests, these elders and scribes, they just witnessed how big of an occasion it was Jesus just entering the city of Jerusalem. Imagine the type of riot that would begin, this movement that would begin if they had evidence, if they had proof that this man was raised from the grave. And so these Jews, they wanted to ensure that they would not have that evidence. They wanted to ensure that nobody would mess with the remains of Jesus. And so that's exactly what they did. Uh, they, they, uh, they went to Pilate for this request, and Pilate sent a guard to secure the tomb. A typical guard had about four soldiers. Two would keep watch, and two would then be able to rest. And I would not be surprised at all if this guard had more than the typical four soldiers. As it wasn't just the Jews who didn't want an uprising, the, the, the Roman Empire was very big into maintaining the peace. And so it would not surprise me at all if Pilate then sent an even bigger guard to make sure that, hey, no touchy, do not mess with the remains of Jesus. And so that was Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday rolls along. If you open with me in your, in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 28, and the, and the verses will be projected behind me as well. Sunday rolls along after Jesus was crucified on Friday that first day, then Saturday that second day, uh, they, there was just this ruling to make sure that nobody would mess with the remains of Jesus as he had his own private tomb. And then Sunday rolls along. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. Matthew records, Now, after the Sabbath, which was Friday, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And so here we have Mary Magdalene and this other Mary. Scholars uh, don't universally agree on who this other Mary is. This Mary was the mother of James, and there's a couple of possibilities of who that could be. Luke also mentions another lady, uh, Joanna, some, uh, somewhere in this process as well. Um, but nevertheless, Mary Magdalene and this other Mary, um, they, they go to the, the tomb of Jesus as Luke describes that they came to finish preparing the body. As Jesus was crucified uh, on Friday and it was starting to get in the evening, he died around three o'clock in the afternoon. So it, it would have been a process to get him moved into uh, the tomb of Joseph and wrapping him in the, the cloths. And so apparently they ran out of time because the Sabbath for the Jews, they weren't to do any work on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath actually started on Friday evening as the sun was setting. So they ran out of time to prepare uh, the body of Jesus. And so they went back that Sunday, I believe, fully expecting to see the body of Jesus laying in that tomb, as that's exactly what they saw just 36 hours prior, the body of Jesus laying within the tomb. And all of a sudden, as they approached the tomb, there was a great earthquake. And lo and behold, an angel appeared and rolled back the stone. 
The stone, we have to be clear, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out as he was already out of there. When, when, Mary, when the two Marys went, went to the tomb and the stone was then rolled away, Jesus, he, he was already gone. He, he wasn't present within the tomb. In John 20, 19, we, we actually uh, get a hint that Jesus' resurrected body could pass through material barriers. And so the stone was rolled away so that people could see that the tomb was empty that there wasn't anybody lying in there. Mark tells us, uh, we're reading from the account of Matthew this morning, uh, but all four of the different gospels write of this account of the resurrection. So I'm gonna try to add some of the details in the other accounts that are missing from Matthew. But Mark tells us that the ladies were wondering how they were going to roll away the stone to prepare the body. As this was not a little dinky stone, most articles that, that I saw, uh, they, they believe that the stone would have been around four to six feet in diameter. That, that is a big stone. That, that is a stone that cannot easily be rolled away. And so these ladies were wondering on their way, uh, oh man, what are we going to do about that large stone that they rolled in front of the tomb? But here we see an angel appeared, a, a great earthquake took place, and the stone was rolled away. So verse four of chapter 28, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. He is risen. Okay, come on guys, that was poor again. He is risen. He is risen. Amen, church. He is risen as he said, come, See the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So the guards are still present at the tomb of Jesus, ensuring that nothing happens to his remains. If only they knew what already transpired, that the remains were already missing. Jesus was not laying there anymore. The tomb was empty. And so this angel tells the ladies, do not be afraid. So often when an angel encounters human beings throughout the scriptures, they, say, they start off by saying, do not be afraid. As no doubt would it have been alarming to see this figure described as uh, the, the appearance was like lightning and, and his clothing white as snow. That would, that would probably scare me too if I saw a figure coming, uh, approaching me, sitting on this tomb and in this appearance of lightning. And so I would be assured by saying, do not be afraid. And I love this, this little detail that the angel is just chilling, sitting on the stone that he rolled away. Um, as in verse uh, two, he, he went, rolled back the stone and sat on it. So here this angel is sitting on this stone. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be be afraid, for Jesus is not here. And I can imagine the heartbreak and the confusion that the ladies would have experienced for a split second when they heard that Jesus is not there. It reminds me of like a game show setting where the host says, sorry, you did not win the $1,000. You win $10,000! And so here this angel says, he is not here. For he has risen. Amen. I, I heard you lead that one, Missy. Thank you. Well done. He has risen indeed. And this is just as Jesus said. Three times recorded in the book of Matthew alone, Jesus told his disciples that he would die and then on the third day be raised. 
And so the angel said that, that he is risen just like he said. I heard some of you guys wanted to say that there. He's risen just like he said. He would die and then on the third day be raised. And the angel told them that Jesus was headed to Galilee. You know, sometimes you, you read these the same stories hundreds of times in the scriptures, but you pick up on different details each time. When I read through Matthew's account of the resurrection, getting ready for today, uh, this is the detail that stuck out to me for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure why he was headed to Galilee. If you remember from last Sunday, Jesus made this long journey from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. Galilee was a region about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. And so here Jesus resurrected around Jerusalem, and he, he is making, uh, for whatever reason that I don't know, he, he is making this 80-mile journey back up north. Um, where, where I'm guessing a lot of his loved ones are still in the area of Jerusalem as well, as they were there with them in the triumphal entry. Uh, they, they were present there with him moments before his crucifixion as well. But for whatever reason, Jesus, he's, he's heading back up to Galilee. He spent a, a decent portion of his ministry up in Galilee. That's where he was raised as a boy. And so uh, the, the angel tells them to, to go uh, tell the others, for, for he, he is going up to Galilee. And so verse 8 of uh, chapter 28, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so here, the, these ladies present here, they run to tell the disciples that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is alive. And these ladies here, they, they didn't stroll down the road on their way to go tell the disciples. No, Matthew tells us they ran. They ran to go tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. There was excitement over this news. They, they couldn't hold their excitement and slowly walk. No, they, they had to gun it. They had to run to tell the disciples that he is alive. My question is, where's our excitement? Where's our excitement in the 21st century? When's the last time that we just had to run to tell someone of the good news that Jesus is alive? But on their way, in, in all of their excitement, as they're running to go tell the disciples that he is alive, they encountered the risen Lord himself. They fell down and, at his feet and worshiped him. Can you imagine that? The followers of Jesus have been through so much throughout his ministry. They put all of their faith in this man, Jesus of Nazareth, claiming to be the son of God, the Messiah. And all of a sudden, he's gone. He's dead. Many of them would have seen the last breath that Jesus took and the turmoil that they must have experienced seeing their friend, their master, their teacher, their Lord and Savior take his last breath. And all of a sudden, these ladies go, finish, go to finish preparing the tomb, preparing the body of Jesus. Angel said, he's not here for he has risen. <laughs> Thank you, Missy. <laughs> and on their way to go tell the disciples, they see the risen 
Messiah himself in the flesh. There's no other reaction than to just fall down at his feet and worship him as the risen Messiah. Gives me goosebumps thinking about that encounter. That must have been such an emotional embrace. Jesus then proceeded to appear to his disciples. And Paul records, uh, Jacob went over this morning, that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after his resurrection. As Jesus was resurrected from the grave and he spent about 40 days preaching the message of the kingdom before he ascended to heaven at, at the right hand of God. And so there were hundreds not just a few, not a hundred, but, but over 500 eyewitnesses to this testimony that Jesus is alive, that he had victory over death. So this is not some simple tale that someone could tell and get away with. No, there, there would have been eyewitnesses there to, to assure that this is what transpired. And now, when I was younger, I, I did not understand why Resurrection Sunday was so important. I thought that uh, Good Friday should have received the limelight, but it was often Resurrection Sunday that received the limelight. To me, as a child, Jesus dying for our sins, to me, seemed much more significant than his resurrection. And I don't want anyone to go away from here today failing to see the significance of what we celebrate today. For this is, this is of the utmost importance that Jesus had victory over the grave. And Paul answers that, that question so eloquently as to why the resurrection of Jesus is so, so important in 1 Corinthians 15. We're running uh, low on time, so we aren't going to dissect Paul's writing here in 1 Corinthians 15. But if you do open up to your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 15... I'd like to read a, a decent chunk here from 1 Corinthians 15 as Paul explains why the resurrection is so important and he does it way better than I could ever dream of. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting, we're, we're going to start down in verse 12. We're going to read all the way through 26. We're just going to read it in one big chunk here and then talk a bit about it afterwards. But Paul writes the church at Corinth now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And catch this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, 
by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, the glorious triumphant end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So my question, why is this so important? Why do we make such a big deal of the resurrection of Christ? Well, Paul tells us if Christ had not been raised from the dead, that we are still in our sins. Now, how is this the case? Well, if Christ really did not rise from the dead, then he was not who he claimed to be, the anointed one of God, the son of God, the Christ. Throughout the Bible, there are, there are a handful of scriptures depicting the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God to establish God's kingdom and being king forever. Well, in order for, for Jesus to establish the, king, the, the kingdom forever, he would need to live forever. And furthermore, before Jesus died, he claimed to be the son of God, and he claimed that the son of God would be raised on the third day. We would know this claim would be false if he wasn't raised from the grave. However, his claim that he is the son of God has all the merit in the world if he really did rise from the grave. And so only he who is without sin, the son of God, can serve as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Only the sinless son of God can free us from our sins, can pay the punishment, the wages of our sins. And so basically, the resurrection is so important because it's all the verification that Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus is the son of God, and because of this, Jesus is able to pay for our sins. If he had not been resurrected, then we can know he wasn't really the Christ. And he would fit in with all the other false messiahs, all the other false Christs claiming to be the chosen one of God. And that means that our sins were not paid for. And that means that everyone had to pay for the wages of their sin on their own and enter into the gates of, of hell. Death. But because he was resurrected, we can be assured that he really did die for our sins. And so our whole faith as Christians hinges on this one fact that Christ had been resurrected from the grave. Some of you guys uh, may, may be familiar with The Case for Christ, uh, a book, and I think it's also made into a movie as well, by Lee Strobel, um, an atheist. And uh, he, he was trying to disprove Christianity as his, his wife, at least in the, in the movie, if I remember correctly, his wife was getting into this Christian movement, and, and it was upsetting him that his wife was getting into this Christian movement. And, and someone told him, all you need to do to disprove Christianity is to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And if you can do that, our Christian faith is on sinking sand. Our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. If you can disprove the resurrection of Jesus. But thank God, 
Thank God that he was orchestrating this all. Thank God that Jesus got his own private tomb. Thank God there was a huge stone rolled in front of this tomb. Thank God that Pilate sent these soldiers in front of the tomb to keep watch of the tomb to make sure nobody would mess with the tomb of Jesus, the body of Jesus. Thank God that Jesus appeared to over 500 people after the resurrection. It is a historical fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and well. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. amen. And because of that, we have hope. We have faith. That because Christ had victory over death, we too will have victory over death. For the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. And that all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And Christ, he's just the first fruit of that resurrection. He's the first person to be resurrected from the grave. When Christ returns to earth, currently Christ seated at the right hand of God, but someday God is going to instruct Jesus. I pray that day comes soon, but, but someday we don't know when that day is coming. God is going to tell Jesus to descend from heaven to earth to establish his coming kingdom. And when Christ does this, we who have a living faith in God will be raised to immortality. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death will be swallowed up in victory. We will have victory over sin and death forevermore. And we will live forevermore with God, the risen Christ, and all of our other loved ones who have a living faith in God. We will be spared from the wrath of God and the gates of hell, and we will forevermore dwell in a day and age where everything wrong with this world, and let me tell you, there is a lot wrong with this world. There is a lot of heartbreak and turmoil in this world. But in that day and age that Jesus is bringing about, all of that, all of it will be made right. So no longer, I'm reminded, we'll be in situations like Missy having to mourn over the loss of a loved one as death itself will be defeated. And we know this all to be true because about 2,000 years ago, God victoriously raised Jesus from the grave. Can I get another amen, church? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. So I want to leave you all this morning with one last image, an image that I hope you meditate on and focus on. On the original Resurrection Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to go see the tomb of Jesus. The angel told her that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, and on her way to tell the disciples, she sees the risen Lord with her own two eyes. And she sees him face to face and falls down at his feet and worships him. Now turn with me for, for just one minute here, the, the last passage that we'll go over. Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. And here John, the writer of Revelation, describes a vision that he sees that, that, that was given to him from Christ Jesus of the coming kingdom, the place that we will reside if we put our faith in God. And so in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, John writes of this vision of the coming kingdom in verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. With its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God, Yahweh, will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So John describes this beautiful vision of the coming kingdom with a river flowing as bright as a crystal from the throne of God through the middle of the street, and the tree of life is present. And in the kingdom, there will be nothing a curse. Anything that is wrong in this world will be made right. And in the kingdom, we will worship the almighty God. And in the kingdom, we will see the risen Christ face to face. And we will see almighty God face to face. I can only imagine I will fall down at his feet and worship him for who he is. I will see my father face to face. You will see the risen Christ and your heavenly father face to face, just like Mary saw the risen Messiah face to face after his resurrection. This is the hope that we hold so dear as Christians. And again, this hope all hinges on the fact that Jesus died and God victoriously gave him, <laughs> victoriously raised him from the grave on the third day. For Jesus died for the sins of the world, and because of that, we can enter into God's coming kingdom. And all we need to do that we just need to put our, our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. We need to put our belief in him. That's all they ask of us. That's all God asks of us is for us to put our faith in him. And so I beg you, please put your faith in God. I'm telling you, it will be the best decision you ever make in your life, guaranteed. Now this faith, it must be a living faith that moves you to live like Christ Jesus himself. You've got to be willing to take up your cross as well, just as Christ Jesus had done. And if you do that, if you have a living and active faith in God and his son Jesus, then I believe you will see God face to face. And you can know that is the truth because he is risen. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for this message of joy, of celebration, of victory. Father, I, I thank you tremendously that we have everything we need to put our faith in you and in your Messiah, Jesus. So Father, it's my hope and it's my prayer that everybody here, sitting here, gathered together with us, everybody watching online, 
I pray that we all put our faith in you, a faith that is alive and well, a faith that compels us to live as your son, Christ Jesus. So Father, we thank you. We are so excited for that day when we can see you face to face. It's in Jesus' precious and holy, powerful, victorious name that we pray. Amen.